You're listening to the 405 Exchange. My name is Ken Grandpierre, and today's episode is with Little Boots. Really happy to bring this one to you. We were meant to do this a couple months back and had to be rescheduled, so the fact this even happened at all really does make me happy. I mean, wow, what can I say about Little Boots? She is someone that I've been into since college, and yeah, it's been really amazing seeing how her music has evolved over the years. I mean, there's Hands in 2009, her album um, Nocturnes in 2013, and her stellar album Working Girl in 2015. And each album, she has reinvented herself. And her latest releases with her latest crop of EPs uh, and the Burn EP, it definitely does show that all she cares about is challenging herself, growing, and just giving us fucking awesome banging tracks. Um, it was a real pleasure getting to talk to her this time around because she really is at this point in time quite a veteran act. I mean, she's been doing music for so long now and she had so much to share about her experiences and her time in the industry and particularly why she finds it important to keep challenging herself. So yeah, let's jump into it. This is the 405 Exchange with Little Boots. Enjoy. So I normally don't ask uh, questions that are based off rumors, and I'm not going to start <laughs> doing that. But Uh-oh. what I was doing, like reading up on you. To, for this interview, there was something that really stuck out to me. Did, did you really get paid for a show once in Diamonds? Is that true? Yeah. <laughs> what the hell? But it's a bit, um, it's a bit dodgy now because um, <laughs> it was from Ivanka Trump. <gasps> I know it gets worse. Holy the shit! The story gets more twisted. Uh, it was was it Ivanka or Ivana, the daughter Ivanka? Yeah. yeah. And she just launched a diamond range as you do yeah. and they booked me to play I'm so embarrassed of this now but at the time it was yeah. just like got booked to play in Trump Tower and they were like we'll pay you like half the fee and a piece from the collection which was like a diamond necklace holy shit so I was like yeah I'll, I'll play a funny like gig in Trump Tower for, for diamonds yeah. you know not really <laughs> thinking much more beyond that sounded quite silly yeah exactly and like you know I'm not going to turn it down um, yeah, now I'm like, ooh, <laughs> maybe that wasn't a cool decision. Um, but um, yeah, and then the funniest thing was I didn't really, I think at the time I was so busy I wasn't thinking straight. And my brother was heading home to England, he'd been on tour with us, mm-hmm. and he was about 17. And I was like, oh, I don't, like, don't want to lose this, like, we just take this, this thing, like, take it back and like, give it mum, you know. Yeah. And um, so he took it back. But I didn't realize, looking back, like you're not allowed to. Yeah. Try, like he just had it in his backpack, like this necklace, and I think he was supposed to declare or something. And so anyway, he was fine. And then I think my mum's got it now. Oh wow, the famed necklace. It's yeah. I should probably get it out. I don't know if it'd be worth more or less because what's happened probably less. That's probably less. Yeah. But yeah, it's probably like worthless now by association. But, but that's yeah. one of those stories where it's like, I mean, obviously one of the worst presidents ever, but you have a weird yeah. several degree separation. Bro. That's kind of funny. It's quite strange. It's quite strange that I did that show in Trump Tower, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it was um, it was a strange um period of my life that, that time. Like. Yeah, but um, yeah, no, no allegiance to the current president no, whatsoever. I mean, people forget like, and we're definitely gonna deviate away from talking about Donald yeah, Trump. I promise. Yeah. But like, people forget like he was like 
I mean, he's still a comedic figure, but to the, back then, it was one like he was a guy you'd see on The Simpsons randomly or something like that. Yeah, it didn't seem particularly uh, harmful. Or it didn't yeah. seem particularly like a statement to be doing that no, show or anything. Like, yeah. It's just something funny. But now I'm like, <laughs> a little bit sketchy. Yeah, um, it sounds sounds good on the. Uh, the it's a good clickbait headline. Yeah, luckily we usually don't do clickbait. We don't have to do that. I know, yeah. Like an audio, audio clickbait. (laughs) So, Working Girl was such a complete body work, and I can't help but wonder what was it like to come off touring for that particular record. Because I felt like when I was experiencing that, it felt like it was such a different point for you career wise. Mm. It felt like such a a lot more of a holistic type of experience for you. Yeah, it was just really cohesive, I think, because there was such a concept around the record, and it was so clear cut, and it was the first time I really stepped up and did all the. Um, art direction and the visuals like that was all my concept and you know really took hold of that stuff like the first time I had the confidence to do that stuff and get really involved in the videos and then we even took the concept through to the live shows and had all these visuals I made and like dancers dressed up in blazers and things and um, so it was just so cohesive and I actually remember feeling quite like down after that album weirdly which is strange because I look back and think it's awesome what I like cohesive record it was but um yeah I don't know I felt I kind of felt like a bit of a come down after it somehow or it's quite hard to figure out where to go next after that um but yeah I mean it's quite a while ago now but then I just kept DJing and I was DJing more and more um and playing live less but I kind of really fell in love with DJing and around that record I did this set for Mixmag lab which is like a video stream dj set yeah. which got really big and got a lot of hits and people just seemed to really connect with it and then it was like oh you're allowed in the real djs club now so all of a sudden i was <laughs> you know taken seriously as a dj which was like something i'd wanted for ages so i was like cool i'm in the gang um so i've been djing a lot and then that started to influence my music and um i guess the new stuff the new EP burn that I just put out and all the things around it are really trying to bring these two. I felt a little bit um, split personality for a while, you know. I've got one foot in this shiny pop persona from back in the day, and the other foot in this going out DJing like good room at 3 a.m. or something. Yeah. Um, so, trying to bring these two things together um, and, you know, kind of, yeah, bring this like this like shiny, fun visual pop melodic thing together with this like hard nighttime dancing DJ thing. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that was really kind cool. of the um the last like couple of years that's like what I've been trying to focus. Yeah, and I'm curious in regards to the DJing, um, when you found yourself doing that more and playing live a bit less, was that kind of a conscious thing or was it just kind of happening just because of where you were at the time? I think I just got asked to DJ more and more. I think the doing the Mixmag lab set, you know, it had like a couple of million hits and that definitely just seemed to um mean a lot more interest for me to DJ uh, you know I love playing live but it's really stressful we've got like a ton of bandmates a ton of synths electronics like a whole load of stuff and the way music is going it like sadly in some ways a lot of it especially electronic music is getting less and less live you know it is more and more acceptable for people to just sing to a DJ set or have someone miming behind them and sing and I, I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing. It's easy to go like, oh, there's less real musicians on stage with <laughs> instruments. But some people, like The Knife, are doing like really fucking creative things with that format. Like, playback becoming less stigmatized has actually opened up quite a creative space in, in live shows, especially electronic, yeah. I think. So, 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much I miss playing live right now. Um, I normally just get quite stressed out. Really? So, um, yeah, I think I, I, um, I need to like think how the new music fits into that format because I've been doing this for nearly 10 years now and, you know, my first record sounds pretty different from my last record and, mm. um, yeah, but I don't know. It's, we, there's rumours of a 10-year anniversary tour next year but of, of my first record. Oh, wow. So we're just deciding whether we should do that or not. Yeah. We, like, play the first record live. Well, that'd be interesting. Yeah, it'd be cool. People have a lot of love for that first album, so... Well, going forward, I would really love to figure out from you, how would you describe the little boots that we find on the Burn EP? Like, where Um, do we find you? How do... Where do we find me? Yeah, creatively speaking. Creatively. I'm just in a pretty good place. I wrote that record really quickly, very much on my own terms. I picked, like, specifically only wanted to work with female and femme artists for it, and producers for it. So everyone on the record is um, female or femme, um, and so it just kind of felt like this this magic like energy of all these cool like women and and finding trans. Um, just like I don't know, it just came together quite slowly, but also very effortlessly. We all just got excited, sending each other things back and forwards, and um, it was coming out of a period where I hadn't really written for a long time, and I had a lot of new emotions to bring to my music <laughs> and it definitely had some like demons to exercise in the songwriting process um so yeah i just would like stop pumping out pounding house beat and sing some melodic tears on the dance floor stuff over it and yeah. it was pretty free and and it felt good it felt like a really good um I don't know, it was quite cathartic for me at the time, I think, because I had a lot of changes in my personal life. I moved to LA, you know, lots of changes. So, yeah, yeah it was quite, it's quite an important thing for me personally, I guess. It's a very, very honest, I was writing from like a very honest place. You know, Working Girl was awesome, but it's definitely hiding behind this figure, and a lot of it was quite tongue in cheek and yeah. uh, metaphorical, and this just felt like straight from the heart. Yeah, and you know, it really intrigued me when I read about how with this EP it was like, like you said, just like female and femme uh, personalities and people within who worked on it. And it made me think like, I'm sure that's probably not the only time that's ever happened, but I can't recall another time where that's happened. And like the energy in which you were creating this and like just the energy in the room, it must have felt so different for you. Exactly, because I just realized I've been doing this for nearly 10 years and I'd only worked with, you know, who I choose to produce the records always has a massive effect on the sound and like the, the collaborations are a really important side to me and I always am like super involved in that process and I was like I've only ever worked with one woman in nine years in yeah. the studio like how is that and there's obviously a lot of talk about these issues and gender balance and diversity in lots of industries and you know it seems a little bit like I hope it doesn't seem like I was jumping on any kind of bandwagon because I've been talking about doing this for about three years. And I was just like, yeah, I, I know loads of awesome female producers. Like, why am I not reaching out to those people? And sometimes I think you've got to give yourself the limitations to really, like, properly explore it and shine a light on it and stuff. So, yeah, um, yeah you know, not at all using gender as a genre or anything like that. But um, just having those limitations really actually made push me to, like, 
find new people to work with that were really inspiring and it was a different kind of energy from working with guys and I think that's exciting you know it's a, a tough sounding EP and like dark sounding but it still sounds kind of feminine and has a yeah I don't know we've got we have to be careful with your words in these kind of jobs but um yeah it's definitely a different kind of energy that I found very inspiring yeah and you know jumping into music like Eros is a tune that stood out to me a lot what's the story behind that track it's inspired by this book called um Bittersweet Eros by Anne Carson, which goes back to the definition of love from a Greek point of view. Um, so the Greeks had, I think, four main types of love, you know, family love, desire, which is Eros, uh, friendship love, and something else. Um, so it's all about desire and how desire is actually, it's not a noun, it's a verb, it's always moving, like love and like that kind of like attraction and love and desire is it's always like something you want that you can't have and then when you have it, it stops and you don't want it anymore. Yeah. Um, so they describe it as like chasing a spinning top and when you catch the top, it's not beautiful anymore because it's, it's still, you know. Oh, that and that's idea. like the love and, of like desire and I'd come out of a very long relationship and was just kind of rediscovering um, a lot of, of these kind of things and found it really fascinating actually. Um, you know, what makes you like want someone else and is it just because you can't have them or is it the chase like what is it that gets us like that makes us crazy in love and can make us like all of these things so yeah it's kind of a bit of the greeks a bit of um me having fun yeah. <laughs> that's amazing to see that embraced because it's very true when you think about it that element of desire it's a very proactive thing yeah it's, it's it is like a transient thing it's it can't really be defined and made static i think a lot of the um poems that she references are like sappho Aristotle, obviously, um, but you know, the Greeks trying to define desire, and it was fascinating. I love that. Yeah. You know, and I'm curious, when it comes to the music video, how much does the imagery conveying within the video mirror what you envision in your mind when you're actually writing the track? Is that usually how it goes about for you when you think about videos you're going to do for songs? Or? I don't normally think about the video when I'm writing too much, because you just like write the song. You never know if the song's going to make the record. So. You just have to write the best song. Or maybe not a video strictly, but I guess like... The imagery. You, yeah, the imagery. Does that ever come to mind when you're writing at all? Or? I think you get a feel, yeah. Like, I can't think of... It was interesting, because on this EP, we shot a lot of the imagery before the record, the EP was finished, which is really rare for me. Yeah. And it kind of pushed me to finish it. <laughs> um, <laughs> to make but, it real. Yeah, you know, because it's like, oh gosh, shit, I've done this artwork, I'm going to have to like <laughs> And so we've done that again now, so I'm working on a part two, and we shot all the artwork, <laughs> so I'm like, shit, I'm going to have to finish it. <laughs> um, like, definitely some of it comes to mind. I had a really clear image about the cover, which is me on a sunbed, but it kind of closed, like burning in the ultraviolet light, and I, I had that image very clearly and I knew I wanted to call the EP Burn so before we like did anything else I kind of had that in my head uh, god knows why it's proper funny strange though, imagination like, I've like looked at that image quite a bit and I didn't read that that was a sunbed but now I feel like an idiot yeah it's obviously it's, it's a tiny bit yeah because yeah, to me it made me feel like it was like almost like a pod in a spaceship or something yeah like I wanted to get that sci-fi feel but in something that's quite like Every day in Taki. You achieved it. Like, yeah, great. <laughs> That's me bringing magic to Taki everyday crap. Um, you know, it intrigued me a lot, like how each track off the EP feels like they exist within their own space, and even as they correlate to one another. 
I think a good example is how um, Shat is Shadows. Mm. And I'd love to hear how that track came to be because I feel like that one kind of feels like very much its own thing. I think they all probably feel like their own thing because they were written by different producers. Um, they all came from like different producers and we all worked remotely so we didn't all get together. Funnily enough, nearly all of us know each other anyway. Yeah. But um, we were never in the same place at the same time, all of us. Oh, okay. So I think they probably feel quite um, like their own thing without but still referencing each other because the four producers you know were working on them the tracks in isolation and then I kind of added stuff and did the melodies and brought things together so um, yeah Shadows I wrote first and it just came really fast over a track that Joyce sent me um, but I was quite I was going through a lot I just moved to LA I like set up my gear in like the corner of this big weird bedroom in Silver Lake in this kind of falling down house that I loved. But, um, you know, I like left a lot of my friends and my family behind. And even though I know people in LA, it was definitely like quite an emotional time for me. And I think when you're in that state, it's quite special like as an artist, because you actually have so much to channel and all you need is someone to prod you or give you the right bit of music or the right beat or the right sound and yeah. it just comes out you know yeah, like exactly. uh, bleh, I was like just like <laughs> musical vomit all over this track um, so it, yeah it's kind of actually a really special state even though I was you know I was kind of hurting it, it made for like a very pure fast writing process I think so I just need to get sad again shit <laughs> <laughs> well you know they always say either happiness or sadness is right around the corner so hopefully it's sadness <laughs> yeah <laughs> You know, the, the, but like, even though I was saying that just now about the songs feeling very separate, the Burn EP does feel like such a complete body of work. That's and good. I wonder, do you suspect that these songs will find themselves as part of the next album? Or are you even thinking about an album? Yeah, I think what I'm thinking at the moment is I'm trying to finish like a kind of Burn part two, mm -hmm. um, which will be, a, you know, four kind of complimentary tracks. And I'd like to put that out as like a mini album or like double EP album maybe do it on a vinyl yeah. so it's more like a collection of songs of, of an era than an album you know because yeah. I think especially these days with Spotify and press everything traditional albums are just quite problematic unless you really want to do one it's not as an artist I find them quite um, depressing these days because you put I mean working guy put you know probably nearly two years of time into and it comes out and everyone's over it and four weeks it's like oh yeah we had that done and you're like what but I, I spent like two years like bleeding my heart on this so I find it easier to do EPs like this it's less pressure and it feels more um I don't know it feels like a bit more like I can keep the momentum and stuff but saying that I think next year I have this kind of crazy plan to pack my car full of synths and drive to Mexico to the middle of nowhere and like write my best album ever. Yeah. So I think I'm gonna try and do that next year. <laughs> Where did the idea come from? Or is that something you've always kind of wanted to do and just had No. I think I've got a, like I think I've got a really great album in me I need to write. Like I think I'm at the point like I need to do a really like cohesive artist album that's just the most definitively me that I can be. Um, whether anyone fucking listens to it or cares, <laughs> I don't know. But I feel like I'm just at this point where like, I need to do that. Like, I need to look back and be like, I did that record, you know? That was like, yeah. I put everything, I could. it was the best I could be. There's no A&Rs messing around, there's no 
label crap, it's just like absolutely me. And I'm at the point where I can do that. Like I operate independently now, like, you know, it, it works. Like I have the means to do it, which yeah. is very lucky and a privilege. So like, I feel like I owe it to like myself and my fans who stay with me for such a long time. So then I was like, how am I gonna do this? You know, maybe I should just like go away somewhere and do it, just go away from distractions and just yeah. really focus. So then I was like, how can I do that? And I was like, I've got some quite good synths and some new like boombox things and stuff. And I was like, so I need to drive. So I was like, I live in LA. I love Mexico, I DJ there quite a lot. I just love it yeah, it's a so country. I'm like you know I could just find somewhere I don't this is all very like, <laughs> I just have this image of me like driving off into the <laughs> desert with like a car full of like DX7s being yeah. like <laughs> blasting somewhere but it's very attainable though I, it's doable and yeah. I like I would look I feel like I would look back and be like why didn't I do that if I could do it why wouldn't I you know yeah. well because of fears or insecurities no one will like it or no one will listen to it or because what you think you should be doing something more serious or like what you know what's the reasons not to like it's like anything in life there's something that's like you could tangibly do that's like your, your dream or you feel in your gut you should do it like yeah. why the hell are you not you know does it feel because you described something very interesting there when you said like you very much feel like you have this album within you when you look back in the past, uh, prior to the times you would make albums, is that usually how it is for you, where you can like feel the need to do it? Is that kind of how it is? In a way, I have like maybe not necessarily an album, but I have to like make stuff. Uh, like I go quite mad if I'm not if I'm not creating, and right. sometimes I'm like maybe maybe I need to do something else, maybe you know, but like no, this is what I need to be doing. Like, this is who I am. This is what I'm put on the world for in some strange little corner of music yeah. and um, yeah, I have to do it. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about how a few months back you uh, were DJing at the new spot here in Brooklyn elsewhere. I love elsewhere. Yeah. I love that spot. Yeah, that spot is fucking amazing. It's awesome. Oh my god, and the sun was setting yeah. and I was on the roof <laughs> and the sky was like pink. It was so cool. That's mega. I wanted to ask you, like, how have you been, I mean, we touched about it a little bit, we touched on it a little bit earlier, but how have you been feeling about DJing lately? Like, I really love it. You know, I have little periods where I go in and out, but I've really, um, I've been playing kind of harder lately, which is quite nice, it's like, yeah. yeah. Well, how's that work <laughs> um, for you? Like, how, how do you go about it to like, because something that's interesting is that sometimes I feel like when sometimes people are at a DJ night, it could be either an amazing display of somebody really being into it, or it could just be someone who kind of recedes into the background. Mm. And do you feel like you have either or? You're kind of like in the middle in that regard? Mm, I generally get pretty into it, um, unless it's some like corporate gig where you like the wallpaper music. <laughs> um, I mean, I've started to sing quite a lot over my sets, um, oh, wow. if, if it's the right setting. I did it elsewhere actually. And that's really nice because, you know, people who've come who know my music are like, oh, like she's doing singing that song or I sing remixes of my songs, you know. Yeah. And other people are like, oh my God, I didn't know that was actually you singing on the record. And I'm like, yeah. yeah, that's what I do as well, you know. Um, so it's interesting trying to like um, balance those two worlds. But I mean, I really love it at the minute. I spend a lot of time like researching and getting tunes and um, moving to LA has helped that as well because I'm quite immersed in the DJ scene now. I've got a lot of friends who DJ, I've got a radio show there on Dub Lab, so definitely like 
um, I'm doing a lot of radio on, on Sunday again. Oh, excellent. Yeah, it's fun. So I've definitely become like a lot more immersed in that world and I take it pretty seriously. I'm not the greatest technical DJ. I'm not going to like scratch for 25 minutes, thank God. Um, <laughs> or I'm not like, you know, playing some like minimal techno stuff, but I really care about my song selection and I really like research and, and try really hard to find great tunes and yeah. try and take people on a little journey of my influences, I guess. Yeah, I feel like this might be a very heady question, but <laughs> I can't help but think about it. What do you think is something about DJing that's like misunderstood or something that you sometimes wish people would know about DJing that they tend not to? Well, it's really fucking easy. It can be. It can be really hard. It's as hard as you want to make it. Yeah. So some people are like, mm, you're not doing anything. And some people really aren't. <laughs> Some people get paid extortionate amounts of money to do very little, but other people do incredible things that are more complicated than playing some classical piano pieces, probably. So, yeah. um, you know, it's interesting, and I definitely don't think the DJs who are necessarily getting, you know, paid the most and at the top of the game are perhaps technically not the greatest <laughs> ones. Um, you know, it's interesting, but. It's all about reading a room, and you could have a really technically great DJ, but if they can't read the room and know what to play next and keep people dancing, then they're, it's wasted. So yeah. I think you've got to be, that's where coming live, playing live from that background helps because I'm used to connecting with the crowd, whether it's for me singing my own songs or trying to make them dance. And like, if I have a good time and I'm dancing behind the DJ set, the DJ booth, generally other people are having a good time too. Yeah. Let's hope tonight. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Got a double bill. Uh, something that like made me feel curious when I saw that you were DJing more lately, especially more than playing live, is it? I couldn't help but wonder, like, does in some way does DJ make you feel nostalgic at all? Um, what for like my youth? No, not so. <laughs> well, because I mean, you've been. You've I mean, I'm from a place called Blackpool in the north of England. I'm familiar with Blackpool. Yeah. yeah. So we used to go out in like, I would say like 1990. I don't even know, when I was like 15 or something, yeah. we'd go to like the local club dressed to the nines, like cowgirl hats, <laughs> do you remember that, that phase, like around like Madonna, or the cowboy, cowboy hat, like booty, like sparkly trousers, like <laughs> matching with our friends, we go down, we're like way too young to get in these clubs, for some reason they'd let us in, yeah. we'd dance all night, like we did not, it was all like 90s trance, yeah. we like would not leave the dance floor until like, that they like forced us out of the club basically, um, so it doesn't quite make me nostalgic for that <laughs> but um, no, sorry, what did you mean? No, I went I, off on a tangent. How do you know Blackpool? Oh, well, I've um, lived in Stratford in London. Oh. Yeah, and I've also lived a little bit in Belfast in the UK. Oh, and, well, in cool. Ireland. And, like, I always go back and forth. And that's a big place in my heart. Yeah? That part of the world, yeah. The North, it's uh, the only way I can describe it to Americans is like, <laughs> like you know, in Game of Thrones, Beyond the Wall, yeah. it's like, yeah, I'm like a wildling. Yeah. <laughs> like, anything past Birmingham is basically like yeah. the wildlings land. Basically. Yeah, so. and like, if you get me drunk enough, I will talk. Like, the it gym. does come out. John Snow. Yeah, I love the way that. <laughs> well, what I was asking about nostalgia, I mean, you brought up the fact that you've been pretty much engaged in your career over the last like 10 years. I'm sure, like, what, like you're probably even DJing like six, eight years ago? Like Yeah, I've been DJing since the start, more or less. Yeah. But when I first moved to London, I was like skin. Um, my old band was like an indie band. It got dropped or something had happened. And I was trying to get a new record deal and I like didn't really know what I was doing. And I used to DJ in this pub called Old Blue Last. Do you know that pub? No, I don't think I do. It's in Shoreditch. It was owned by Vice magazine for years. 
this divey old hellhole of an East London pub and I used to DJ for like four hours for about 50 quid um, and I mainly played like kind of Susie and the Bunchies and like Blondie, <laughs> like all like 80s kind of pop punk stuff oh. and um, and like synth pop and stuff uh, and didn't have a clue how to DJ and the decks were just like so full of beer they were stuck anyway and like um, it's so funny but you know doing that for four hours every weekend like I had to learn <laughs> Yeah. on the worst system ever and like that's kind of how you get on your stripes you know really yeah. it's funny like do you look back on that i mean obviously you're smiling now like do you look back on those days quite fondly of course like you know we were like like so many of my friends are in bands or were in bands at the time as well and we were all just in it on the scene in london trying to make it happen you know yeah. it was like metronomy and klaxons and um, actually, Uffy's playing tonight. Do you know Uffy? Oh, from... And she's really on the um, Ed Banger crew, so, you know. Yeah. Bloghouse. It's all like Bloghouse days, you know. It's fucking ridiculous. Yeah, so she's done doing the Bloghouse night in Brooklyn tonight. Jeez. But, you know, I ran into her in LA and we just started reminiscing about Pipe Machine days. Yeah. <laughs> like, something that brought me that uh, brought that up in my mind to ask about nostalgia is, like, when I was prepping to do the interview with you, I found myself looking at some of your older YouTube videos. Oh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I fall down a hole with that. <laughs> Get a bit teary. But the thing is, it's like looking at the date and seeing how some of the videos were uploaded or even like 10 years ago. I mean, <laughs> like, when you hear that, like, when that's brought to your attention, like, the fact that your career's been going on for that long, like, what comes to your mind? Nah, it's crazy. I mean, the thing is, it's changed so much, so it's the same career but it's like evolved it's the music industry in this era like you have to adapt or die you know you have to evolve so i'm doing very different things than i was in 2009 really day to day i guess but um i'm pretty proud like that i i'm still doing this and still doing it you know like this it's the real deal like it's it's 10 years on and i'm still doing it i've not got any idea of stopping and I'm proud of that. I'm also like completely grateful to my fans who've stayed with me from that long ago and through all these changes and twists and turns and like and all my like my good good hardcore team who's still with me from day one, you know, like it's amazing and um, yeah, but I do sometimes fall down a YouTube hole and watch loads of old, those when old videos. When was the last time you did that? Do you remember? Long time, not very recently. But when you, when once you start, <laughs> Laura, my manager, just she was like, I did that the other day. Uh. <laughs> like you see one like live at Glastonbury or Coachella, and so then you're like, oh, oh, and then you're like, oh, look at all the stuff we did. <laughs> That's cool. That's amazing. Yeah. Thanks so much for chatting with me. I'm really glad I got to talk to you. Yeah, I hope that was cool. Thank you so much for thinking of me. Oh, of course. Thank you.